Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, last book of the Bible. Uh, so easy to find right there. Someone once said that the Bible is kind of like a telescope. That uh, if you look through it, then you can see whole other worlds. But if you just look at it, then that's all you are ever going to see. And the truth is, is that uh, the Word of God was not given to us just to look at. It wasn't given to us to sit on a coffee table or on a shelf or on the, uh, you know, somewhere for decoration for people to see. Uh, it wasn't made to look at. It was made to look through. And, uh, uh, and as we look through the Word of God, as we look at the universe and we look at existence through the Word of God, uh, we get a better understanding of uh, uh, both of the creation of God and we get a better understanding of the Creator God. And so this morning we're going to be a, begin a new series that's going to take us through uh, the first three chapters of the book of Revelation as uh, uh, we're going to spend this week and next week in chapter 1 and then as we get into chapter 2. There are chapters 2 and 3, uh, seven letters to seven churches in, uh, in, in the Asia province uh, in those days. And, and so we're going to look at each one of those letters uh, every week. And so I'm excited about that. And, and uh, I'm excited about digging into uh, the book of Revelation because it is a book that, that, that for many it, it's kind of hard to understand. So many Christians because they're not really sure what it means, they just completely skip over it. And the, the truth is, is that the book of Revelation is, a, is an amazing book. Listen, it is full of Christ-exalting truths. Uh, and so, uh, and so as, as we, we study this, we get a better understanding of these Christ-exalting truths that we need to see and we need to understand in order to be who God has called us to be and do what God has called us to do. You know, think about all the things in this world uh, that, that we would not be experiencing today if not for the discoveries that were made when, uh, when Galileo made that telescope and humanity for the first time began pointing that telescope not at each other and not at the earth necessarily, but up to the sky, to the, to the universe, to the heavens. It's the discoveries that we made, uh, that humanity has made, that God has allowed us to make through looking at the universe through the telescope that, that allow us to have satellites in orbit today. If not for looking through the telescope, we would have no satellites. Our, our national defenses would be weakened today. There would be a lot of things that we would not be able to do. Man would never have went to the moon. We never would have been able to make it to the moon. We would not be able to send satellites uh, to places like Mars in order to, uh, to, to... We have the Mars rover right now exploring another planet. There's no way we could have gotten that there. Without the, without the satellite, your smartphone wouldn't work. In fact, without a satellite, those of you that have the good old flip phone, guess what? Those wouldn't work either. You see, you see, there's a lot of things that we would be missing out on if we did not begin to look through that telescope and understand 
uh, and begin to seek to understand what we were looking at. And so as we look through the book of Revelation, just these first few chapters, we will see and have a better understanding of God's plan and who God is. Uh, and, 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 and in so doing, it's going to draw us closer to the Lord and help us to understand him. So we're going to start in verse 1. <clears throat> we're going to read to verse 8. I will tell you that there is no way that we could cover everything that would be relevant about these first eight verses. But I want to give you a little bit of an overview of the book of Revelation to get us started, get us headed in the, in the right direction. As we get ready to jump into God's word, I want to remind you who wrote the book of Revelation. It was written by the apostle John. This is the same man who wrote the gospel of John. This is the same man that wrote the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. This is the same John that writes the book of Revelation. The one in whom the book of John uh, refers to the disciple who, who Jesus loved. This is John. Not John the Baptist, John the Apostle. Those are two different people, okay? Uh, and so John is writing this. It's about A.D. 95. Christians are under heavy persecution uh, from, uh, from a Roman emperor, and, and uh, things, are, things are tough. In fact, John himself has been exiled to the island of Patmos. And in fact, he had been arrested for, uh, for, for, for teaching the things of, of Christ. And uh, in fact, they, uh, they had a law in those days that the only way that someone could be uh, absolved, a Christian could be absolved from their crimes, even if they were proven, so, so to say, not guilty, part of them being absolved would be to renounce their faith in Christ. And they arrested John, tried to get him to do that. He refused to do it. Uh, so they threw him in a, in a boiling pot of oil uh, and uh, tried to fry him alive and, and to get him to, uh, to denounce Christ. And he would not do it. God protected him much like he did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in the fire. Um, in, in fact, uh, some of the historical accounts say that, that there are a lot of believers that, that were converted who were there and witnessing this and saw God move. And so the Roman emperor didn't know what else to do with him. He couldn't kill him. He sure needed to get him out of, out of the public. So he exiled him to the island of Patmos. And this is where we are when John begins to write through the Holy Spirit, uh, the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Let's look here. Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his slaves what must quickly take place. He sent it and signified it through his angel to his slave John, who testified to God's word and to the testimony about Jesus Christ in all he saw. The one who reads this is blessed, and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it are blessed because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come, from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the king uh, of the kings of earth, to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to God 
To his God and Father, the glory and dominion are his forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, including those who pierced him. And all the families of the earth will mourn over him. This is certain. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, who is coming, the Almighty God. Father, we pray that today you would help us to gain a better understanding of this book in these first few verses. God, help us to hear what it is that you have for us here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so... As we look in the book of Revelation, okay, we're going to see this first, uh, first eight verses. We begin to see very quickly and get a better understanding of this book. And as we study this book, the first thing we get a better understanding of is a person. There is a person in the book of Revelation, okay? It says that, uh, that the revelation of Jesus Christ, this revelation comes to John. If you have if you have a red letter Bible, you will notice that, that that much of Revelation is in the red letters because this is the voice of Jesus talking, the voice of God talking to John. He has a, a, a vision on the island of Patmos. God comes to him and brings him a revelation about Jesus. You say, you know, do I, do I really need to read this book? I mean, is it really that big of a deal? Why, why do I need to try to understand this book? Well, we see right here that, that it, it is a revelation from Jesus. The, the word that's translated as revelation is a Greek word, um, apocalypsis, apocalypsis, there it is. Uh, which you probably uh, are familiar. You've probably heard the English version of that word, apocalypse. And when we think about revelation and apocalypse, we think about the end times, and, and those, those are synonymous with some of those subjects. But the true, really, uh, uh, definition of apocalypse is this, the unveiling, the big reveal. God, Jesus Christ himself, is unveiling, uh, unveiling some things to us that he wants us to understand in the book of Revelation. He wants us to understand about himself. There are things that we need to know. You know, I think a lot of, a, a lot of people, a lot of believers do not walk with, uh, with God as closely as they should. Because quite often they forget about who God really is. They forget about the character and the holiness and the mightiness of the God that we serve. They forget about who Jesus really is. You know, A.W. Tozer once said, and I've shared this with you before, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. <clears throat> that is such a true statement. Whatever comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important in that it is, it is the thing that is going to define who you are. If you think God is a mean God, up there just ready to lay the smack down on you, then you're going to live in, in cowardness and fear your entire life. You are going to, you are going to live your life trembling. If you think that, that Jesus is, uh, you know, some hippy-dippy, you know, everybody just 
peace, love, and hugs and, and all that jazz, then guess what? That's probably going to influence how you live your life and your approach to God and your approach to this world. And as we look at the book of Revelation, we see that Jesus is more. He's more than, than a religious figure. He, he's more than, than the prophet that is associated with Christianity. You, you know, over the years, uh, you know, I've heard people dismiss <clears throat> Christianity and they dismiss Christ. They dismiss Christianity. Just another religion. Hey, it's just another religion. You know, you were born in America in the South, so you just happen to be Christian. And, you know, someone born in, in Iran may just happen to be a Muslim. It's just another religion. And, and they'll dismiss Jesus as just another religious figure. You know, uh, the Muslims say Muhammad and the Christians say Jesus. They dismiss those things. In fact, even in some of the other religions, such as Islam, Jesus is regarded in their holy text as a, quote, good teacher and as a prophet from God. But listen to me. Jesus is more than a religious figure. He's more than just the, the, the person most associated with Christianity. Because, listen, if Jesus was not the Son of God, if he is not God's Messiah who died on the cross for our sins, if he has not been given, as Scripture says in Matthew, all authority, Jesus says this, all authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. Listen, by what standard is somebody who comes to this earth, claims to be God, claims to forgive sin, uh, you know, uh, demands and commands worship, receives worship, says that he is God in the flesh. I mean, by what standard is somebody who is not God in the flesh, who says that he's God in the flesh, really just a good teacher? You see what I'm saying? That's logically inconsistent. Because let me tell you something. Jesus was more than a good teacher. He is God in the flesh. Remember the same John that, that, that wrote Revelation? This is John from the Gospel of John. John 1.14 talks about the Word of God. And it's talked about being with God, was God. The first few verses and in verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh. That says that Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is more than a good man. You see, the book of Revelation tells us a lot about Jesus. Tells us a lot about his deity. It tells us a lot about the divine nature of the Holy Trinity that we call God. Remember, we just saying God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. We see that right here in Revelation 1. First few verses. Look at verses 4 through 6. <clears throat> it says, Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come. That is referring to God the Father. God the Father sends grace and peace to you, to the believers, through the writing of John right here. And then it talks about, it says, and grace and peace is also from the seven spirits before his throne. Now, some of you may have a translation that would probably be a little more accurate in its translation. Uh, it, which would say the sevenfold spirit. So that's where sometimes the uh, knowledge of the language is, is helpful because 
uh, there are gaps at times in translations. And, and, and I, I believe when we look at this, we, we, it's not talking about seven uh, spirits around the throne, but it's talking about the sevenfold spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit. And in fact, we see this in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 11, verse 2, describes for us the seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. It talks about the Spirit of the Lord. So this Spirit, He is God. That's the first characteristic. This isn't just some random Spirit. This is a deity Spirit. He is deity. He is the Spirit of wisdom. He is a Spirit of understanding. He is a Spirit of counsel, Spirit of strength, the Spirit of knowledge, and the Spirit brings fear and reverence to God and for God. Sevenfold spirit. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. And then it begins, it goes also, says, and so this grace and peace comes from the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And it says, and it says uh, from Christ. Uh, the grace and peace from God, from the Father, the Holy Spirit, and from God the Son. It says, and from Jesus Christ. And then you can read the next uh, couple of verses, he begins to describe seven characteristics, both of who Christ is and what he has done. He, both of who Christ is and what he has done. Let me, let me read some of that for you here. He says, um, mm, there it is, uh, before his throne, verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us, he has set us free from our sins by his blood. He has made us a kingdom, uh, a kingdom of priests to God his Father, and glory and dominion are his forever. Another sevenfold description of our holy King of Kings, Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords. And so uh, some of these are pretty self-explanatory, but I want to focus in on a couple of them for you uh, this morning uh, before we move on. Because uh, one of them at times can be really confusing to some folks. Uh, one of those is, um, well, let, let me mention this first. Let's focus on, uh, on, on the love of Christ. It says that, that, that Jesus loves you. It says that, that he is love. Uh, it says that, uh, uh, that, that Jesus Christ, to him who loves us and has set us free. Listen, I, I don't know what you have done in your life, and I don't know what your journey is, and I don't know what, what you have been through, but, man, we look at the character of Christ we see a God who loves us. In fact, same author, John here, same one that God is using to, to write the book of Revelation. See, God also spoke to him before that. And, and, uh, and he wrote this little verse in John 3 that says, For God so loved the world. And see, God is love. That's from that's from. First John, we understand this is a key characteristic of the teaching of God's word about the Son of God, and this is very characteristic of 
the authorship of John as well. But we understand that Jesus is love. God loves you no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. God loves you. He loves you so much that in Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus emptied himself, talking about being in heaven. He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross. That is the Jesus that we see in the book of Revelation. So he is he's love. He loves you. If you take nothing else from this, I want you to take away from this. I am loved by God. I am loved by God. But another characteristic, and this is one that is often confusing for people, is it says that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. He's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn from the dead. And here's what you need to understand about this scripture. The term firstborn is a title, okay? Often in the Old Testament and in scripture, the firstborn, actual chronologically firstborn, is given the title and the benefit of the, quote, firstborn. But the title of firstborn means that this is the one to receive the inheritance, okay? So it doesn't always mean that that is chronologically the first one born, but the person, the one who is entitled to receive the inheritance or the blessing, this is a, this is a legal title in, in, this, in Scripture. We see this perfectly. If you, Some of you have been reading through uh, the book of Genesis in the last few weeks. We started over the year and you're reading through the Bible. You've read about Jacob and Esau, okay? Esau chronologically was born first, but Jacob was given the blessing of the firstborn. That blessing, we hear, we talk about that blessing. That, that blessing is not just talking about his father saying, boy, I really hope you have a good life, uh, son. I, I sure wish good things for you before I die. I mean, that was part of it, but, but that blessing was a declaration of inheritance. And, 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 and when, when, uh, uh, when their father dies... He gives the blessing of the inheritance, the uh, declaration of inheritance to Jacob. You know what that means? That Jesus is the one who, who is worthy. And he is the one that has been declared to receive the inheritance from God. He is the one that is to receive eternal life. Listen to what Hebrews 1 says about Christ. It says, in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. Verse 3 of Hebrews 1 says the son is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after making purification for sins, he, talking about the son of God, talking about Jesus Christ, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as their name, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. It's all about his inheritance. 
to him who loves us and sets us free. You see, because Jesus is the rightful heir of the inheritance of heaven and salvation and eternity, he, uh, he bestows that upon those who come to him through faith in Christ. It says that he loves us and he has made us free. Or some of your translations may say he has washed us in his blood. You know what that means? That means that Jesus is love in action. See, see, Scripture says that it's not that we first loved God, but that he first loved us. So it's his love. And not just love in concept, but love in action. He loves us so much that he is willing to cleanse us. He's willing to wash us. It doesn't say to him who loved us and, uh, and allows us to scrub ourselves. To him who loves us and has washed us. Because he is the one that does all the work. See, he only requires, he only demands that you would be willing to let him do that. He's not going to scrub a person who's unwilling to be scrubbed. So scripture says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and whosoever shall believe. If you would believe upon his name, you could have everlasting life. He will do all the work. He will do all the hard work. You know, a lot of people miss out on what God is doing today. Um, and, and I think what God wants to do in their life tomorrow, partly because they fall into the trap of Satan. They fall into the trap of allowing the enemy, the deceiver, to come and, and cause us to live in the past. We fall into the trap of, 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 of sins gone by, things that we feel guilty things that we are ashamed of and the enemy of, of God keeps coming to us and saying, hey, you remember that? Hey, hey, can you believe? Hey, hey, Mr. Christian. Hey, 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 Miss Little Goody Goody. Do you remember what you did here? You, know, you remember what you said there? You, you, how, how Christ-like were you back then? You know, Satan begins to mess with you with that. And we forget. We forget. Friends, do not forget the blood of Christ for those who are in faith the blood of Christ washes you he does it he changes you from the inside out listen scripture tells us that to all who have received him that he has given the right to become a child of God you know what that means that means that that you have the right to the inheritance Christ has said hey I've, I've got this inheritance. I want to give it to you. But also, you know what that means? When the enemy of God, when the deceiver comes to you and begins to, 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 to mess with you and to attack you and to accuse you and to remind you and to try to churn up guilt and shame in your heart, that means that you have the right in the name of Christ to rebuke him from your mind and from your heart. Because scripture says... That if you will resist the devil, he will flee from you. You resist him, he will flee from you. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Listen, uh, Re Revelation 20, if, you, if we study that, we're not going to get there in this series. But Revelation 20 reminds us of the ultimate 
destination of the deceiver, which is to be thrown into the lake of fire. He's going to be thrown in the lake of fire. He's going to be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. Wise man once said, Christian writer, he said, the next time the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. The next time the devil comes to you and tries to remind you of all the bad things you've done, you resist him, you remind him of the victory that has already been won through faith in Jesus Christ, the victory that was won through a God who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave. You see, when you, when you read the book of Revelation, you see this person of Jesus. He's not still in the manger. He's not still on the cross. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty. He is risen from the grave, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is alive forevermore. Revelation gives us a better understanding of a person, but also gives us a better understanding of a purpose. Look, it says, blessed is the one, verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it, because the time is near. Now, the word that's translated here as keep, when it talks about blessed is the one who hears and keeps the, this, uh, uh, this uh, revelation, who keeps this book, uh, it, it's not just talking about obeying, although it can, and it does have that, that definition. It can be applied to observing it. So it's not just that you, that you, that you uh, hear what God is saying, but you seek to observe it in your lives, okay? But, but also another definition there, and I think very relevant to this passage, it's not just that we observe it, although we should, but also this word translated as keep more often than not, it's translated as to guard, to protect. You see, we as believers are called not only to observe the word of God, but we are called to guard and protect the, uh, uh, the integrity of Scripture. We have, we have two things we see here. Blessed is the one who, who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So it, purpose number one is that we are to proclaim uh, the truths of God's word in our lives, uh, in, in, in our teachings, in how we interact with this world. We need to be proclaiming the truths of the prophecy of God. But secondly, we need to be guarding and protecting the integrity of that. You know, the, the 20th century has been a difficult time to be a believer. Uh, the, the enemy of God has went to great lengths in the 20th century to delude the teaching of God's word, to undermine the integrity of the holy word of God. So much so that in the 70s and 80s, some mainstream, mainline denominations, and it's not just one, multiple churches, denominations did this. They, uh, uh, they began to see things in their hymnals and in some of their readings and some of their liturgy that had references to Things like blood. And, and, and they decided that's not refined enough for us. That, that's a little graphic. We, we, we don't need to talk about blood in here. Let's, let's change that word. And so instead of singing nothing but the blood of Jesus, it would be nothing but the love of Jesus. Now that sounds good, right? 
That's, boy, don't that just make you want to hold hands and sing kumbaya? Nothing but the love of Jesus. And the truth is, is that his love is expressed in his blood. But see, they began to skip over all of those things. Uh, and some of them said nothing but the light of Jesus. Man, that makes me happy. You know, there's just all these things. We saw this in the 70s and the 80s. And, 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 and it, was, it was not that big of a deal, right? But what happened is now we have generations of believers and mainstream denominations that have no idea what the blood of Jesus actually means, the significance of it. They do not understand that it is a reflection of the sacrifice of God, which is the ultimate expression of the love of God. They do not really even have a full understanding of what love is many times. Because over the generations, see, those things, teachings of God's word have been diluted. They, they treat it kind of like a cup of coffee. You know, I always tell people uh, when they make coffee around here, I'd rather make it too strong than too weak. Because, you know, give it to me, I'll take a sip of it. And if it's too strong for me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put a little bit more water in it. So it'll go down easier. A lot of churches, belief systems began to treat God's word in that manner. And go around and Google some stuff later on. See where some of those folks are today. Jesus says, blessed is the one who reads this, who, who publicly proclaims the word of God. Blessed is the one who guards and protects it. See, it, it gives us a better understanding of a person, a better understanding of a purpose. And Revelation also gives us a better understanding of a promise. Verse 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those, even those who pierced him. You know what that means? It means that there's going to come a day that there's not going to be one person that has the excuse that they have not seen or experienced God. Because even the Jews who today deny his Messiahship, many of them, when Jesus comes back in the fullness of his glory, even some of them are going to see. The tr they're all going to see him, but some of them are going to turn to the truth of the true Messiah. There's going to come a day when Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back in the clouds. Well, I, just want, I just want to start singing, these are the days of Elijah, you know. Behold, he comes riding on the cloud. Boy, I can't wait for that day. And this, this means, it means that, that there is something better beyond this earth. There's something better than the pain and the suffering and the confusion and the chaos that we often see on this planet, that we often see in humanity. There is coming a day when he is going to come back. You see, Jesus didn't just come to this earth and depart this earth, but he will come again. The book of Acts chapter 1 tells us that, that he ascended into the clouds and then it says that he is going to come back the same way that he ascended. He's going to come back in the clouds. Throughout scripture, the clouds are associated with the Shekinah glory of God. I'm reminded of what Jesus says that's recorded in John 14. Jesus says, if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also, 
In his love, he has prepared a place for us where there is no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin, no more shame. He has prepared a place for us. It's a place that today we call heaven. And this is what I want you to understand as we get ready to close. Heaven is not heaven because, uh, because there's choirs of angels there. Heaven is not heaven because there's streets of gold or the pearly gates or the crystal sea. That's not what makes heaven heaven. Heaven is heaven because that is where the fullness of God truly is. That is where I want to be. Jesus is love. He is the inheritance. He is the Son of God, God in the flesh. I hope that you know him. And I hope and pray that you would constantly seek to have a better understanding of him. Let's pray.